This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. What is up, my sinners? It is Monday morning, January 16th, I'm going to say. I don't even know. I don't, you know what? It doesn't matter what day it is. It just doesn't matter. 2017 has just been so good so far. Are you guys having a good year? I'm having a great year. I'm down to 171 pounds. That's five pounds. I lost five pounds in two weeks. Perfect. I'm eating lots of salads. I've been making my own uh, Thai soup, making some Vietnamese uh, uh Fresh rolls. It's it's been really really awesome for me. I'm really enjoying my 2017. I hope you are so far as well. Welcome to Lead Singer Syndrome, a podcast where I talk to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a professional band. And this week we have a great show. I have Max from the Arkells, and man, if you're American, you might not know the Arkells. Um, you're going to, I think. I think you're going to know about them really soon. They're a Canadian band. They're from Hamilton, Ontario, which is only about 30 minutes from where I grew up. And up here in Canada, the Arkells are a big deal. They just headlined two sold-out seated shows at Massey Hall, which is a super, super iconic venue in Toronto. They've got at least two number one songs on the radio. They've been nominated and won Juno Awards, which is like the Canadian Grammys. So they are doing awesome. And Max is a super, super nice guy. This conversation is awesome. But they're on tour right now with Frank Turner in the U.S. That's how I hooked up with Max, actually. That's how I met Max. So please, if Frank and Max are coming through your hometown, be sure to pick up tickets. Do not miss that show because the Arkells are definitely a live band. I want to thank everybody who reached out to me last week after the Davey Muse episode. Wow, what a story that guy had. If you missed last week, please go back and check it out. I mean, we got like 60 back episodes. So yeah, go go ahead. Go listen to them all. If you're just getting into the show now because you're Canadian and you love the Arkells, welcome. Great to have you along. Also, as I'm going to be plugging probably for the next forever, uh, we have started the All Access Club. And how it works is for as little as $6 a month, you can join the All Access Club. You can be a part of this thing. You can help us keep the lights on. You can help this thing grow. And in return, you get a bunch of extra content, bonus episodes, a monthly Q&A with me. It was really fun, actually. We did our first one just a little while ago. Hung out and chat on there. I played a few songs. It was a lot of fun. Thanks to everybody who was there. You also get access to the very inexpensive Lead Singer Syndrome merch store, which is about to pop up. And of course, I send you a bunch of stuff in the mail, and the longer you're a part of the club, the more stuff you get. So all I ask is you go on the website, check it out, see if there's something right there for you. Don't worry, the show will always be free. So check out leadsingersyndrome.com slash allaccess. Again, that is leadsingersyndrome.com slash allaccess. Before we jump in, I want to remind you, I love to hear from you guys. I love to hear the feedback, positive, negative, neutral, whatever it is. So please get in touch. Again, Twitter is at Lead Singer Sin, S-Y-N, Instagram, we're at Lead Singer Syndrome, and of course, good old-fashioned email is LeadSingerSyndrome at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening to this, and without further ado, here's my conversation with Max Kerman of the Arkells.
Hello. There he is. Hey, how's it going? Great, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, just hanging out at home. Where are you? Where are you right now? I am also at home. Nice. Which is probably not too far from your home. Are, are you in Liberty Village though? Or are you in Burlington? I am currently in at my parents' house in Oakville, actually. Oh, okay, cool, right there. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I, I I grew up here in Oakville, and uh, yeah, I lived in Toronto for oh like six years. And, okay. Yeah, Liberty Village was my my stomping grounds for a time, and now I'm just sort of like. I'm kind of in a weird place. I'm like doing some Airbnbs here and there. Uh, all my stuff's in storage. I'm kind of roaming around. So it's uh, it's been fun. It's been different. Well, if, you, if you're not a hoarder and you can pack light, you can do that pretty easily these days. As long as you got your laptop. You're oh, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> like people – like I tell people this and people like, – some people look at me like I'm out absolutely fucking crazy. But they'll just say like I could never do that. And the fact is I totally understand how people couldn't – you know, couldn't do that. But for me and for you, like we've been living out of a suitcase for like the last de- better part of a decade. Totally. So we're used to it. You know, I'm like, yeah, shit. I'm used to being in like a different hotel room every night. So a different like Airbnb every couple of weeks is like, for me is like actually more luxurious. <laughs> I know. Yeah. You know, when I don't get me wrong. I like sleeping in my own bed, but when people are like, I really just need a night in my own bed. I'm like, I kind of like, don't identify with that so much. I'm just like, <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess it's nice, but I'm doing whatever. I could sleep, you know, on a couch or in a hotel or Airbnb yeah. or wherever. Yeah. No, it's, for me, I think like more so the, than the bed is, uh, the shower. Like I, uh, my own shower, it's just like, it speaks to my soul. You know, there you go. You uh, must have a nice shower. My my shower at home is like not even that great. So uh, when when I, you're in a nice hotel and it's a nice shower, I'm like, oh, I could live here. Oh, right, 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 right. No, but I'm not talking really about hotel showers as much as, much as like you know, like a dirty venue shower in like Hungary or something. Uh, you yeah. know what I mean? Oh. Like, <laughs> I, we we could go on about European hotels and and like you know Europeans because of the size of you know the countries and how many people live in them like are pretty used to having to like share close quarters i feel like compared to like big fat american beds and big yeah. fat american hotels Absolutely. and hallways but when you go to a, like a little like uh, what's it like uh, what's that ho- ibis hotel yep. uh, chain oh man those like they, they managed to pack like three beds and a bathroom and a shower within like 20 square feet it's, i know it's crazy. i know it's <laughs> funny japan's like that too Oh, we've never been. Yeah, oh, you you've never been, been to Japan. That's that's crazy. I can't believe that. No. Oh, you guys. Never been. You guys got to go. You guys got to go. Well, I must like have records to. out over there and stuff. Yeah, somebody actually uh, sent a photo of like one of our records, like in a record shop in Japan. So they exist over there, but I don't know. Yeah. I feel like. There's so many places to, to tour in the world. You kind of got to prioritize a little bit. I don't know anybody in Japan screaming for us, so we'll, we'll stick to places that we're a little more familiar with, at least yeah. for the time being. No, but, I, I get that. It's funny, actually. I, I think Frank Turner told me he'd never been to Japan either, which is funny. Oh, really? and that's huh. And that's how we um, how we are hooked up, right? I mean, that's, that's how right. we met, through Frank. At the, and, at the uh, after party, at the, when he was DJing at the Velvet, yeah. was it Velvet Underground? Is that yeah, it was? exactly, Velvet Underground, which was hilarious because, you know, earlier that day, Frank um, hung out with Frank in his hotel room, and um, your show, uh, which I want to talk all about the shows and everything, your shows were completely sold out. They couldn't even get me in, I guess because it's seated, it's really? harder. Yeah, they couldn't uh, even get me in. All the seats were filled. So um, 
so Frank's like, fuck, I can't get you in, but you know what, dude, come to the after party. So I brought like my, you know, my three buddies, whatever. And Frank got so drunk, uh, <laughs> he had to bail. Uh, oh, like, really? <laughs> I don't know if you, yeah, I think he might've left already at that point, but he, he, uh, he had to bail. And then my buddy just like was up there with Frank's computer, like just DJing. <laughs> And oh, the, really? <laughs> all the kids that came were like, who's this guy? What's going on? And I guess like the laptop like fucked up and just started making like weird sounds and he didn't know what to do. <laughs> so he just closed the laptop, turned it off and the club turned the lights on. And that was the end of the night. And the end of the <laughs> night, at, like, and it wasn't even that late. It was like maybe like 10 after one. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. You know, nothing, nothing like sobering up a, a nightclub by just turning on the house lights. Yeah, no, but he was saying that about Japan too. And it's, it's interesting. Uh, yeah. Like uh, you think just, you know, the spillover from, you know, being on whatever major labels kind of just pushing it around the world to their different distributors would kind of have some effect. But I mean, as you guys know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, you guys have this massive popularity in Canada and I'm sure you get this question all the time, but it's like, what is it like to, you know, have huge popularity in Canada where you have like number one singles and all this shit. And then you go to like, you know, Salt Lake City, Utah, and you're like, my friend saw you there and he's like, yeah. And they're just like up there being like, yeah, what songs do you guys want to hear? And there's like less, <laughs> and there's probably like, you know, less than a hundred people there. Oh, totally. Well, you know, we've never had the attitude that we're entitled to anything period. So I think when you go in with that attitude, it's, it keeps, um, it keeps your head on straight because you're grateful for when anybody shows up period. So, sure. um, and then that's not being like falsely modest or anything. I think we've like probably seven years ago exceeded anything that we ever thought we'd get uh, like with this band in terms of like recognition or you know things like getting played on the radio or touring with bigger bands like those are all things we never would have been able to conceive of when we first started so that's number one and number two i think the, the one of the things i love about being in a band is that you know a lot the work you put in like i like to believe that at least the work you put in is sort of representative of like what you get back from it. So like, yeah. we had never been to Salt Lake City. And as much as the internet helps connect people and as much as the internet, you know, connects music scenes like, you know, the, the punk scene or the, you know, NPR music community or whatever, that could be really helpful. There's no substitute for just going there. So, yeah. you know, we, we've never had the expectation um, that we should show up and for the first time we play Albuquerque, that there should be 500 people there screaming <laughs> our name. Like we've never had, you know what I mean? Cause that just doesn't make sense. It's like, why would they, we never been there. We haven't made friends with the local music community there. And, um, you know, I think that's a big part of growing the band. So, and we know that from experience because the first time we ever played, you know, Thunder Bay, there was maybe less than a hundred people there. Sure. But then sure. if you deliver a good show, and you make a genuine, authentic connection with the people at the show, then word will spread around. You know, people will be excited for the next time you go back, and that's how you, I think you you grow a crowd in a really organic way. And if you if you're one of those bands that has like you know one in a million single that just like catches fire on the radio or is in a movie or something, and you can show up to town and there's a thousand people waiting for you, then God bless you. That's amazing. Yeah, but and, great. But that's great for that one show, or maybe that year, or maybe a year and a half. But then what happens? But how right? sustainable? That's, yeah, how that's sustainable the is worst, it? man. Like I, you know, people always say, like, right, right, you know, right now, Silverstein, we have a song actually getting played in the radio. Um, you know, a couple radio stations are like, yeah, we're gonna play you, and that's really the first time we've had legitimate, you know, uh, commercial radio play, like added, you know, like legit. 
And a lot of people were like, that's crazy. You guys never had that. And I'm like, thank fucking God we never had that. Like the, <laughs> like the last thing I would want is to be like, like you know, a plain white tease. Hey there, Delilah. No offense. They're my friends. Those guys are great. But do you know what I mean? You have that kind of um, song that explodes and it's this huge thing that's outside of your realm. And you, it's, it's like it's too far away. You can't control it anymore. And, and you're putting your career out of your control. Like, you know, you guys have managed to kind of ride this line where you have these big songs and you have, you're getting this mainstream attention, you know, congrats on all that. Yet in you Canada, still have, yeah. yeah, in Canada, right, in Canada. And you, but you still have your, um, you still have your fan base that's, that's diehard. And I think part of it is a few minutes ago, you used the word genuine. And that to me is something that when I think of your band, really comes across. Is that something that's important to you? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, yeah, yeah I, I like to think that like, and I said, I know I just said this, but it's like, I'm really like ecstatic when people, you know, go out of their way to spend time with our music or spend money on coming to a show. Um, and I definitely don't take for that for granted. And I think like in part it's because, you know, I, I'm a pretty keen observer of other people, generally speaking. And I've, and I witnessed the way, uh, you know, other bands interact with their fans. And I always admire the ones that are genuine and authentic and that, you know, just talk to their fans like they're normal people and sure. like aren't, aren't up on some pedestal. Yeah. Like, you know, Frank, Frank's actually a really great example of that. Frank yeah, treats everybody sure the same. He treats everybody the same. And, um, he, he doesn't take anything for granted because for him, it's the same. It's been similar. It's like, it's been a slow growth. It's not like he came out of the gate like with a number one song, you know, he started touring America in 2007 yeah. and like, and everybody that we met on, on the American dates says, Oh, you know, the first time I saw Frank Turner, I saw him at like, um, like a beer festival in Minnesota. And then the next <laughs> time I saw him, he opened for flogging Molly. And then the next time I saw him, I got to see him at an after party for Lollapalooza. And then the next time I saw him headline a little club. And so it's like all these little experiences that, um, that kind of will develop, a a fan's relationship with a band. And I think if there's like, if there's something that seems like sincere about our band, it's because we've developed this rapport with our fans. It was like, Oh, we saw you, you know, play my frosh week. And then I saw you at the Dakota Tavern and then you hopped on stage with another band. And those are all just like little moments that can, you know, tie together Absolutely. To, 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 to create something meaningful. Um, and yeah, you know, another guy who I love, um, who I really look up to is Joel Plaskett and he's like yeah. one of my favorite, favorite songwriters. And he's another guy who just treats everybody really well. Like, I like to think that if I've if I've seen someone in the crowd at like four shows, there's a good chance I'll be like, oh hey, I remember you. I saw you in Sault Ste. Marie, like or yeah. like at least have some facial recognition. And that's not me being like a particularly like great guy. That's just me being a fucking human being. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, and the other thing is, I'd say is that we uh, we we are very aware that not many musicians get to play their own songs and for a living period. Right. Like most, most I guys, suppose, yeah. Well, think about it. It's like most musicians either have to play other people's songs or are, you know, session guys that kind of have to hop around from gig to gig and, or have to work at a coffee shop or at a restaurant. The fact that like, when it comes to actually like working full-time musicians that play your own songs that you can go out and sing your heart out and there's, and there's an audience singing back to you. That's actually a pr like a pretty rare thing. I think a lot of people would love to have that job if it was easy, but it's not easy. It's super fucking hard. And I'm very aware of that, that this is like 
a, a very precious thing. And so we work really hard at it as a result. Like, you know, today yeah. we, we've been home from tour for, you know, three weeks and it's been a nice break, but like every morning I'm waking up and I have like a good routine where like I play piano for a while. I try to hack away on some lyrics and I send some emails and I think about what a, you know, the tour poster in Vancouver should look like or whatever. And right. I love all, I, I really love it. Like it's, well, uh, that's I'm really great. grateful I mean, for that. Yeah, yeah. So you'd say you're a bit of a workaholic. Totally. Well, like similar to Frank, I'm definitely like a busybody. Like I, I don't do too well just sitting around. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. Um, so you're in, you live in Hamilton, right? Yeah, I'm in Hamilton, downtown Hamilton. I grew up in Toronto, but I went to school at McMaster, so I just ended up staying here. Well, let's start. You know what? Let's start from the beginning, because uh, I don't know if you've had the chance to tell like really your whole story. And um, you know, I know you're a podcast guy too, which I love. <laughs> like, yeah. like you're a you're probably a bigger podcast fan than than even than I am, and you probably know even more about the format than I do. And and from what I understand, do you actually have your own podcast? Yeah, so a friend, yeah, I am obsessed with podcasts, and I listen to probably like fifteen in rotation every week. And uh, wow, I love the, I love the medium. You know, what I can't even fall asleep with without it anymore. If I'm like folding the laundry, or if I'm getting some exercise, or if I'm sure. going for a walk, I got my headphones down. But um, but yeah, my friend um, Mike Bierman, who's a Hamilton guy, but he works at, at Bell Media. He's like kind of does uh, like. He, creative ad writing and stuff. Uh, oh, cool. he, he and I have a podcast called the Mike on much. He's the host of it. Uh, and we've interviewed, it's similar to this, you know, we interview yeah. people in, in the arts and in music and, uh, and I, and I really just wanted to be a part of something, uh, ju- some, something that's sort of outside of music, uh, just to work another part of my brain. And it's been a, it's a fun little side project just to be able to like develop something different and to be able to, cause I'm, I'm definitely like with band stuff too, like a big picture guy. Like I'm not good at editing anything. I don't, I'm not particularly good with technology or, uh, any of the nitty gritty work, but I do like thinking, okay, the show, you know, the open should last seven minutes. Then the interview, let's, let's listen to it and see what we can cut to make it as tight as possible. Let's, what are we going to do in the clothes? We have our friend Shane come on and he tells a funny story. And so just trying to sure. develop something. And the other thing, um, about podcasts is that like you kind of got to build up a body of work for anybody to pay attention because it's still a very niche genre so a lot of my favorite podcasts i didn't even hear about until they were 200 episodes in so you kind of gotta you you gotta trust that if you're putting on something good and you're developing a rapport with your listeners they're going to tell their friends and you know in a couple years people look back and go oh we got this thing and we got a, a real following and a community around the show and i think that's a similar attitude that i have with the band uh, of but course, yeah, I these do, things take time. Everything takes time, and you can't expect everyone to to find out about what you're doing like overnight because there's just so much shit out there. That's you know, that's the truth. Well, but that is, that's totally the truth. You know, I was talking about music videos uh, with our manager the other day. I was just like, the, the, the hard thing about music videos is I don't really care about music videos right right now in 2016, and in part it's because you you spend a boatload of money or you get a grant to spend a boatload of money yep. and you it takes two or two or three days out of your life and you're working away to treatment and you know you, you come up with something that's like kind of cool and looks great and professional because technology offers all that and there's really talented people behind the scenes editing it and filming it but you put it out on you know twitter and it kind of comes and goes in a day and sure it lives on youtube and that's a nice way for people to discover the song but like you, I think there is something to be said for like just generating like not just like a constant stream of content for the sake of content's sake, but just for like thinking about it in a very like holistic way where it's like you need to 
not assume that one thing is going to move the, the needle. It's going to be a bunch of little things that are thoughtful and good that, uh, that's that true. will help, help you move forward. That's true. I think that's more, that's more the case now than ever. Um, yeah, that's totally. true about music videos. That's really true about music videos. And, and like so many of them we've done, they just kind of go, like they just fall by the wayside. And I'm like, oh, shit, only this. Yeah. yeah, like we did it. Okay, it was cool. Some people watched it. Then, yep, whatever. And I like, there's videos we've done that I think I've watched like once. You know, and like, <laughs> no, me and too, like, me too. And I went, I'll go back and watch them and be like, oh yeah, that was kind of a cool shot, I guess. Like, but like, you know, it, <laughs> totally. it is, it is so funny. And the fear I have, you know, as a musician and not, not only as a musician, but as a fan of music is I hope that that doesn't start happening with records, you know? Yeah. And I think it's starting to where something comes out and, oh, how many weeks ago did that come out? Well, whatever. On to the next thing. And it's like, damn, man, that's that's a scary thing because, you know, Silverstein, we're a band. We've done like a 10 year anniversary tour of one of our albums like that stood the test of time. And our records we're putting out now, are people going to care about them in 10 years or are people not even going to remember them in 10 months? OK, well, you know what? If there's one uh, bit of hope that I want to offer to you <laughs> is that what separates a band like Silverstein and Arkells versus you know, a band that's not necessarily willing to put in the work is that you guys are going to take those songs on the road from like a new record and you're going to give an audience a relationship with each one of those songs in a live environment. So everywhere you go, there's going to be a thousand people that's going to remember that song, like the new songs in your set. And then going to, it's going to make, create a different meaning for them when they go home and listen to that record. And like that's how you stretch things out. It's because you're right. If you just put out the song and never toured it, then people would come and go. But if you remain present in people's lives, whether you know, maybe it's a little music video, then they hear the song on the radio, then they see you perform live, and then they go to a festival and you're there, and then you do a reunion tour, or like, or then yeah, sure, one of their, sure, you know, it's like it, yeah. those things. I think those things can kind of add together to, to you know, to give hope <laughs> for bands like us. Because here's, I'd say this, the reason why I think Springsteen um, has like, why people just revere him so much and have such a deep and special relationship is not necessarily solely based on the strength of those albums. It's because you've had a chance to see him over the years, over and over and over again. And those songs mean something different because like, when I saw him at the Skydome, he opened with uh, a song off Born to, Born in the USA called Working on a Highway. And I never even really liked that song that much. But then I saw him come out on stage with an acoustic guitar and he was shaking his ass and everybody was getting <laughs> into it. And now I love that song. And it's because he went on the road and fucking owned it and made a memory for me. And if you can, if you're a band that can keep on making memories for people, like based yeah. on that recorded material, I think it'll give life to. It's true. To, you know, it's true. Songs. You know, you know. Another thing that that I, I uh, my one of my favorite bands of all time, if not my favorite band of all time, is is No Effects, the punk band. And they're and they're and like the case that they work so fucking hard. Those guys don't stop. They deal. Yeah, they slowed down a little bit, but they're well, doing a little bit. they're doing like well, I guess I'm actually no. What am I talking about? They did like a book. Did Fat Mike did a musical? They've done all kinds of shit. I just mean well, like touring wise. Yeah. Touring wise, they've they've definitely slowed down a little bit, but yeah, they're still working all these projects. But it's not it's. But back to your your live thing. No effects used to actually have songs that weren't on records that they would play live, and people like they had a song about George Bush called "Idiot Son of an Asshole," and um. They would only play that at shows. It's never, it's not recorded, but yet so everybody cool. knew that song. Like everyone would sing it. <laughs> That's awesome. And to have That's to have that exist, you know, I mean, that would be such a 
crazy thing to try to do to play a song only live and not record it and then you know have fans i mean i guess it would get, it would get it. boot it would get bootlegged nowadays on youtube and everything anyway so it wouldn't it wouldn't be the same thing but i, I always thought that that was cool um you know and, and it, it speaks to your point of of how yeah how how a song can be transformed and 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 can you know take on a different meaning that's really really cool well, you got to give it a shot. You know, it's like you got to go out and tour it. You got to like, you, you can't let it die the day the music video comes out on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like that, that's my attitude. And that's the thing with the record. It's like why, you know, I, I like thinking about, you know, every aspect of, of the band, whether it's, you know, album art or music video or something to tweet or whatever, because it all like, it all feeds back to the nucleus, which is the songs and, you know, and, and making, making the most of those songs and making them live for as long as possible. Absolutely, man. Well, your first time on the show. Um, I would love to start at the beginning and and hear just kind of how you got into, you know, becoming a musician. Uh, you know what your early life was like, and and kind of what has led you to being frontman of the acclaimed Canadian group, the Arkells. <laughs> uh, so so let's take it from the beginning. You said you grew up in Toronto. Yeah. So um, which which part it- exactly? downtown like um right near kensington market so i, I grew up right right in the heart of the city and Crazy. um yeah i mean i don't know how, how interesting my, my personal story is i know there's other other dudes out there that i think have lived a lot more compelling lives but um but i'm really happy about where i, where I came from and um my dad my dad's actually from new york city but uh went to university in downtown detroit and then went to social work what, school. Like Wayne in, State or something? Wayne State. Hey, there. How do you know Wayne State? I uh, I just know a lot of stuff. Okay. <laughs> no, I State? used to I used to date a girl um, that works at Carmanas um, Cancer Institute, which is part of Wayne State, and oh. I, and she lived actually right there on um, Willis. Okay. Right. Awesome. Right by Wayne State, and um, yeah, she lived there for a while, and then somebody got shot on her doorstep and she had to move so anyways yeah you know detroit uh but yeah no i know wayne state is pretty much the only like you know main university in downtown detroit that i'm aware of so i took a guess and i nailed it you nailed it so he was there in the 60s and had his own um show like campus radio show um oh are you there oh hello oh did did, did i lose you there for no no i'm here oh sorry i'll start i'll you can cut this um no i leave it in Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so he started, um, yeah, like he was a campus DJ at Wayne State University and he'd get like records like a couple weeks before they came out. And so as a result, he had all the, like, like Sgt. Pepper's like the two weeks before it came out and he trucked around these records cool. uh, for the next 20 years until I was born. And, uh, I grew up with a lot of those records in the house and my earliest, earliest memories of playing music, um, were with my dad. He, he'd play like, you know, a Beatles song, like got to hide your love away. And I had a little kid guitar cool. and I was obsessed with the Beatles. The first movie I ever watched was help. And when I was in kindergarten, I'd bring in like um, Abbey Road into school and there's a record player in my kindergarten class for some reason. And I'd listen to that during <laughs> playtime. So I was very obsessed with the Beatles from cool. a very young age. And the Beatles and Motown music was basically like all I listened to until about grade seven. <laughs> um, so that really informed the way I think about songwriting. And yeah, just as that sort of like sense of like musicality, like those Mot- Motown and Beatles are sort of like the holy grail for me. Um so when did you get when did you get like your first guitar? 
Uh, I got it probably when I was like 10 or something, but I didn't really touch it. I, 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 ended, I started playing guitar in high school, like in grade 11. I took piano lessons as a kid, but I was actually really into sports. So I played a lot of baseball and basketball, uh, like baseball at Christie Pitts in downtown Toronto. That cool, was like, yeah. kind of like the home field. And sure. I love, I love basketball, but yeah, definitely in high school, um, I transitioned and started, I started dating a girl and she was really into like, it would have been 2002, uh, I was in grade, no, grade 11, 2003. So, uh, she, and she was like really into simple plan and some 41. <laughs> it was like the, it was like the height of like pop punk sure, and, yeah. and like a lot of guitar based music. And so that, that had me picking up a guitar. And, uh, so I'd go, I went back and learned a bunch of Beatles songs and then a bunch of, you know, some 41 and blink 182, uh, songs. And, and, uh, I started playing with dudes in my high school and the talent show, and I really had the bug and I decided that I want to expand my like musical community. And I figured if I went away to university, I'd get to meet a bunch of people from not necessarily my neighborhood. So I ended up going to McMaster and from there, that's where I met, uh, met Mike and Nick who are in the band today, uh, like on the first and second day of school. So I was, I was really lucky to find those guys, uh, immediately. Yeah. It's really cool. So, so when you were in high school, you were just kind of playing guitar, like, you know, working on your craft, you weren't, were you, were you playing in bands? Yeah, actually my, my next door, my neighbor across the street, two brothers, uh, one was older, one was younger and Alex played guitar, Eli played drums and their mom was nice enough to let us like set up in their basement and jam. So there's definitely some like old videos. I could probably track one down and send it to of us jamming in their basement. Uh, and like, you know, everything from like Jimi Hendrix to the Beatles to, Weezer uh, sweater song. Actually, we played a talent show at their high school. They went to another high school. And uh, it was a two-song set. We opened with sweater song, and we um, were all wearing sweaters, obviously. And, <laughs> and then we took off the sweaters to reveal yellow T-shirts, and we played Yellow by Coldplay, which you was a big pull, song. You didn't pull the thread as I walk away to take the... Uh, <laughs> that would have been the, right? the, the best costume change ever. Ah, oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> yellow by cold you really wore yellow sh- yellow shirts when you played yellow by coldplay yeah 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 wow, i was that's... into the wardrobe changes back then i guess <laughs> <laughs> that's so that's super funny well if you're in tech you've been there before feeling the pain of hiring a freelancer or new employee for designer development only to find out months later that it's not a fit and those types of mistakes aren't cheap instead Mutual Mobile, a digital technology consultancy, uses the process it's developed over the past 10 years, delivering over 600 client projects to ensure your fast and beautiful mobile or web app is finished on time and within budget. Mutual Mobile has built apps for numerous companies that have been acquired, such as Eero, acquired by Amazon, FlexDrive, acquired by Lyft, and Map My Fitness, acquired by Under Armour. You get a dedicated team to help you with your tech project from start to finish, from ideation to product shipment to maintenance and everywhere in between. Mutual Mobile designs and builds beautiful mobile and web apps that increase the value of your business. If you have design or development needs, schedule a free 30-minute consultation at mutualmobile.link slash LSS to get started. That's M-U-T-U-A-L-M-O-B-I-L-E dot L-I-N-K slash L-S-S to get started with your free consultation today.
I just got sent awesome new wireless earbuds from Raycon. I opened the box, opened up my phone, and literally in less than a minute, I was jamming out to my favorite tunes. What struck me right away was how well these fit and then how amazing they sound. Definitely more bass than my other wireless headphones. But the biggest game changer is the price. The E25 earbuds they sent me start at half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market, have six hours of playtime, and really are super comfortable, whether it's music, conference calls, or binging this podcast. And there's no dangling wires or stems to distract other people if you're on a video call. The company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Mike Tyson, and Melissa Etheridge are just a few people obsessed with Raycons. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not the other distractions from the room. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair, check out wireless earbuds from Raycon. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com LSS. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash LSS for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash LSS. Well, it's funny, you know, like uh, a lot of our listeners, most of them are American. Um, yeah, your country. Actually, one of your country stuck. Sorry, um, sorry. What were yeah. you saying? Go ahead. Somebody um, came to a show recently because they heard Frank on your podcast talk about us. Crazy. So I, I forget which show it was, but uh, no, you know it was Nashville. Somebody came to the I, Nashville show. So shout out to the dude who I met at the Nashville show who uh, heard about it through your podcast. So thank no, you. It's wild, man. The people that listen to this shit are like super into it, and like they really care. And they're very much looking for new music and different music. And whenever I'm, I'm talking to like a buddy or someone in a band, I'm like, you know, you, you spend an hour of your day and talk to me. You're probably going to have a good time doing my show. <laughs> uh, and you're going to get something out of it. Like this isn't something just throw away. Like I guarantee you people are going to check out your band because of this. Um, you know, and it's, it really is worthwhile. I don't know what it is. If it's partly to do with the, the long format of a podcast, um, if it's just happens to be the fans of the show, I don't know what it is, but, but I'm really proud of that. How, no, but how- doesn't that bl- I love that. First of all, I love, I think the long form, uh, conversations with a host that you trust, yeah. it, it, like it makes such a difference, but doesn't it blow your mind that there's somebody that there's like random kids out there that are like in Nashville, like listening to this. Like, I, I always like that's still the novelty <laughs> of that still is exciting to me. I don't know. Like, I don't like, I know it, it probably goes away over time or the more successful you get, but there's still a part of me that's like, oh, that's so great. That's well, so cool. <laughs> you know, you know, it's really cool. I think, you know, and, and I started this, um, all access club it's called, which is like basically like a kind of like a VIP program where people can contribute some money each month and they get some perks and stuff. So now we're all on a Facebook group together and we're all on there chatting and and it's really cool because yeah, you mentioned there's somebody from Nashville. Well, there's people from New Zealand and Australia and Germany and the UK. And then there's people from Texas and people from Minnesota and people from South Carolina, like people from all these different cultures somehow are coming together, um, you know, to listen to this show and me talk about pretty much about music, but really we talk about everything. And yet somehow all those people get so much out of it that they're willing to, you know, 
pay their hard-earned money to be a part of this thing, which which is really really cool because you know let's be let's face it, you've traveled the world, like you know how different different places and cultures and people can be. So, but you know, I think that I totally agree. But and I also think that's one of the things I admire about like sort of like the punk community is that there are people that share that interest and that that feeling that like punk music offers all around the world. So you could be from Nashville, you could be from Singapore, you could be from Berlin, but there's like a common feeling that that the like the scene that like you're a part of represents, which I think is a yeah. beautiful thing. I no, think it's it like that's a very unifying thing to me and and like our music is a little more like pop like mm, has more of a pop bent to it like or just a populist like what am I trying to say? It's, it's definitely not like quite as like niche as punk, if you want to call punk a niche, which is not quite. But um, and so I don't know if you get that kind of personality in like in an Arkells listener or that or the, I shouldn't say that that sense of community in every different place because there's like maybe I don't know an Arkells equivalent in Germany. But I, don't know, I, I really love <laughs> it's it's really your band is really hard to figure out like because we're a tweener band. Like the problem yeah. is, is that like we. We have so many different influences, and we sort of land somewhere in the middle. So, um, yeah. But it's, anyway, I really love how you can go around the world, and there's like a punk scene uh, that that embody uh, a similar spirit. Yeah. No, it you is. Know, it in, is. in every continent, absolutely, it is really cool. Um, okay, so back to Kensington, uh, growing up yeah. in Kensington Market, Market, which for a lot of the American um, listeners, uh, they might they're not really understand what that is. Now, it's it's right in downtown Toronto. And it's kind of like this sort of weird, like kind of very hippie, very like, like, you know, left um, little, I don't know, couple blocks. Yeah, it's like it's it's strange. It's kind of strange. It is for you to grow up there. That must have been that's unique. Like you say, oh, my story is not that interesting. That's such a weird place to grow up. And not only that, but like most of the people I interview are from like Ohio and they grew up in the suburbs where like, you know, they're driving to guitar center in their mom's minivan to get their first guitar. And then they, you know what I mean? And they have like, a, um, you know what I mean? Like that kind of a thing. Totally. Whereas you're like in the city. Like I, I'm surprised you were even able to play music in a basement in Kensington market. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, it's way harder when you're in downtown Toronto to like to, to do it, you know? Yeah, well, a couple things like so. Kensington Market, yeah, there's like little like grocery shops, and there's vintage stores, and there's like the cannabis store, and there's like a uh, vintage guitar place. It's really like Paul's boutique. Paul's boutique. Yeah, I used to go in there and bug Paul like once a week. (laughs) God bless Paul, nice guy. Um, But it's right next to Chinatown, and the area. It's when I was growing up, especially. It's sort of kind of in between Chinatown and like Little Italy and Little Portugal. So there's actually not that many like straight up like middle class white people there now. There are there's a lot more because like the area has gotten a little bit more expensive and generally more gentrified. But yeah. 20 years ago, when I was growing up, like I was actually looking at a photo from my grade eight graduation, and like. I was like out of, I don't know, 250 kids. I was like maybe one of like 17 white kids. <laughs> yeah. Like there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of Asians that went to our school. And anyway, one, I think it made me sort of just appreciate like the differences in, you know, different people and, and like the struggles that people have in their lives. And like the fact that most of those kids were like first generation Canadians and their parents worked their ass off to come to Toronto and to just try to start like a great life for their family. Number sure. one. Number two, 
um, and I think this also applied to my high school experience, is that the like I know most like traditional like American high schools when it comes to like white suburban high schools, like there are there is this real hierarchy that exists and cliques and uh, a social order that is a very stressful thing for a lot of I think teenagers to, to go through. Absolutely. But, and, and, and I think that's where like a lot of like good punk music probably stems from originally because like maybe you're one of, <laughs> one of the outcasts and you like yeah. need to just go into your garage and plug in your guitar and scream your face off, which I think is very cathartic. And, and I think there's, there's definitely like a narrative that exists for a lot of punk bands that have started in suburban garages, which makes a, a, so much sense to me. But for me, because like every, because there's so many different uh, racial backgrounds in my school nobody really gave a shit about what the other people were doing like there wasn't it wasn't like oh there's the pretty white girl who's that like the pretty white blonde girl who's like at the top of the totem pole everyone's like i don't give a shit and it was it was very healthy i think i think people just sort of like living side by side and not really worrying about like kind of stupid north american conventions when it comes to like the high school experience actually I think was, was a very good experience for me to have because I didn't, I never really had that like sense of like social loneliness or pressure that I think a lot of other like white kids, middle-class white kids get Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't know. Does that make sense to you? I, it does make sense to me. And I, I, I know it's I unusual, mean, but here's yeah, the, here's the funny part is I'm 30 minutes from you in Oakville going to high school and like, you know, there's probably 17. Well, no, we had quite a few Asian and, and Indian people and stuff, but mostly white. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mostly went to a white a white high school, and I'd say we did have that. That you know, you talk about the white girl beauty queen totem pole. We did have that absolutely. That's you what know? I'm saying. It's like, and I and I know friends, yeah, who went to schools like in a different area of the city, and they totally had that. But just my particular high school, yeah, being being where it was in between Little Italy, Chinatown, Kensington Market. Uh, it just—it's like no one. I, I just think that everybody like kind of minded their own business and got along. <laughs> it's kind of. And nice. it's funny because most people would think, "Oh, you're in an inner city school. Like it's going to be more. There's going to be more. It's going to be more dangerous, or it's going to be more of those problems." And in fact, it's the opposite, which is crazy. You know what I mean? No, totally. And don't get me wrong. There, there probably are. There definitely are some like inner city schools that are tough and you know have their own set of problems. Yep. But. Um, yeah, but for, like I just have, I just found myself in this like nice little like uh, kind of serene place. At least for me, I don't know. I I, I thought it was. No, I thought it was like a good experience. So you had a pretty good high school experience overall. Yeah, and I think it's sort of my nature too. Like my dad, who's probably like one of my greatest role models. He's like a very, I don't know, gentle sweet guy like he he's he's a he was a social worker for many years and he ran like a a group home for teenagers for like 20 years in toronto and is like you know just like uh he's really into music he's really into sports he's really into like mental health and he like organizes conferences now and um that's awesome yeah he's a very sort of like present kind of guy um and I, I definitely take from from his personality, uh, and 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 I feel I'm lucky. I think in that regard because uh, I know some people are born into tough situations or inherit characteristics from their parents that like are make life a little bit harder. Say, but I was definitely like if if I 
I like to think I have a pretty sunny disposition and I definitely, I think, you know, I was lucky when it, when it comes to inheriting that from, from my dad. Absolutely. So, um, uh, back to the band. Um, so, you you know, you, you say you went to college in Hamilton, which for the listeners, it's about uh, an hour maybe from Toronto. Um, and, and, um, you started, you say you met the guys on the first day and you, you started a band, a serious band, but it must've also been kind of weird because you're starting out something in college where you're trying to, you know, get an education. You're trying to obviously have to pay attention in class and everything, but then all of a sudden you have a, like a distraction right away, which is a band. Like how, how serious was the band right away? Um, or, or was it just kind of for fun and then it kind of morphed into something more, more serious? Um, I think we all took it seriously in the way that young people take things seriously if if they're excited about it. Do you know what I mean? Like when you're young, it's pretty easy to get like wrapped up into something um, and and like really want to do a good job and you're living and breathing it. Um, But that said, we were very like realistic with like the chances of it ever becoming anything. So I think everybody had like a bit of a backup plan and yeah. You know, Mike and Nick are, are really smart guys, and they're they're kind of like academic types, to be honest. Like, I'm not so much. Like, I can kind of get by my <laughs> in school with like with nothing more than a B plus, but normally like a C plus, B minus kind of guy. Like, without trying particularly hard or giving a shit. Um, but those guys could could have gone to grad school, and that would have suited them, I think, just fine. But um, but we all love playing the band and we'd play, we'd gig like every weekend. We'd go to St. Catharines, go to Guelph. We took like the Greyhound to London, Ontario, which is like a, a couple hours away from Hamilton just to play a gig. We took the Go Bus into Toronto to play the Silver Dollar. So we definitely like. Like with all lo- your gear? Like you brought your yeah, gear we, on the Greyhound? We, bus? Yeah, we put a bunch of stuff underneath <laughs> the Go Bus, like, you know, in the compartment underneath. <laughs> That's crazy. You're touring on a bus and you're still a local band. Yeah, exactly. We are already a bus band, man. <laughs> That's right uh that's funny actually so um we but it, the timing worked out so well so we, we like played in the battle of the bands uh like in our first year and we came in second we lost to like an awesome hilarious ska band called the johnstones do you know those guys i do know them yeah yeah at the time they're like the rage and they're like to put on the craziest shows and I, we were just sort of like watching with our mouths on the floor just like what is going on but it was very like it was actually like a good lesson in showmanship i'd say but um we carried on and we we play as much as we could and we i, I remember like in third year uh, we, like we're like all right we need to make an ep uh and like you know have something you know to sell that we're proud of and we went out to scarborough over a couple of days to record it but drove back at midnight every night and i would, would write essays from like oh, midnight geez. to to 8 a.m., hand it in, and then go back to Scarborough. So it was like one of those things I look back on going, Jesus Christ, like what a dumb – like I don't know if I do that today. That just seems like insane to me. Like, But when you're young and you're taking things seriously and you're really passionate about it, you'll do crazy shit, as you know. Like I'm sure you've done crazy things. I have similar stories of when I was – because I went to University of Guelph, and it was the same thing. The band was was starting to happen. And, um, yeah, and I had to make, I couldn't make a choice. I, I, you know what I mean? I couldn't just do the band cause that was stupid. It's like, well, it's a band. Like it's never going to work out. But then if I was to just do school and quit the band, then it wouldn't be like, you know, it wouldn't be my passion. So it sounds like you run through exactly the same thing at this point. Exactly. Exactly. So where we got really fucking lucky is that in, uh, I want to say about 
So, okay. In the summer going into fourth year university, so this would have been 2007, we played North by Northeast, which is a cool kind of indie music festival in Toronto for your listeners. And we we were on like the one o'clock in the afternoon spot at Young and Nanas Square, which is like the big open air square right in downtown Toronto. It was a pretty unremarkable set as far as I can remember. There weren't many people there. We didn't think anything of it. But a fellow named Sean Creamer, who's the owner of the Dakota Tavern, which is like one of the coolest music hangouts in Toronto, which is, has like Very live cool music right seven nights a week, right on Ossington. It's like capacity 75. He happened to be walking by and he happened to like what he heard and decided to buy like all of our EPs. Like we, I think we went to the merch table and we're like, where did, did we really sell everything? The, the merch girl was like, Hey, you sold all of them. So we felt good about that. We didn't know that this one guy had bought all of them. Weird. Uh, okay. Yeah. And then what he'd done in the following couple months is just handed them out to music people in the industry that were hanging around at his bar. So this is without telling you or talking to without you. even telling us just, just <laughs> without even just, just as a good deed, just cause yeah. he like what he heard. He must have listened to the EP at home. This is the EP we would have like recorded probably in Scarborough. <laughs> and um, Joel Carrier got his hands on it. And Joel yep. is like the mastermind behind Alexa on Fire and Dallas Green, City in yep. Color. Dynalone and Records. New Damage Dynalone Records. Records. Yeah. So he's. are you with New Damage, by the way? Yes, we are. Oh, there you go. I was okay. just hanging so, out with Joel. I was hanging out with Joel two days ago. We were watching oh. Monine together, rocking out. Oh, at least Palace yeah. for the reunion right. shows. It was a full blast. That's, That's crazy. Right. Oh, yep. man. How, how were those shows, by the way? Uh, I went I went uh, to the one uh, on Wednesday, and I'm going tonight. Oh, fucking and right. Alex on Fire is playing tonight. So, Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, they're playing. Holy shit. Yeah, it's like a secret set. Yeah. Oh, my God. I almost want to go now. Go. Fuck, go. I'm sure you can Maybe. find a way in. Oh, yeah. If I, I, had a plus, I don't even have a plus one. If I had a plus one, I'd... I'd uh, I take you, but oh shit, that sounds amazing. Okay, you well, fight, anyway, fuck okay. you, finagle your way in. If you can, yeah, sneak, I, mean, I heard you snuck into a, a NCAA basketball game once. So if you can do that, <laughs> you can definitely. Oh, I do my research, dude. Uh, oh, no, I, I um, <laughs> I if you can do that, you can definitely sneak into fucking Lee's Palace. I'll just open the back door for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, so um, Joel ended up hearing the EP because Sean Creamer that uh, gave it to him at the Dakota and emailed us on MySpace, messaged us on MySpace. It was like, Hey, heard your song on the way to work today. Fucking love it. Let's try to connect. And then we ended up playing a show a couple months later at the Dakota and Joel came to the show. And like from that night we started working with them and we told them that we were about three months away from graduating because it was probably like right. December, January. So we said, Hey, just give us till like March, April, and then we're all yours. And so we made our moms happy and we graduated with go. like a four, four year degree. And then from there, we just started touring and we've sort of been touring ever since. And the reason why I say it's really lucky is because a lot of bands, a lot of people who are really interested in music, fit, like, you know, finish their college degree. And then spend this, like, you know, that age, like 21 to 24, sort of puttering around, not sure what to do, uh, you know, that their parents are putting pressure on them to find yeah. a real job and yeah. you're working at a, you know, restaurant or whatever. But for us, the fact that we kind of got to get right in, right on the saddle and like just go for it made our lives yeah. a lot easier because we just had momentum from the get go, which was, which, I, which I'm very aware of how fortunate that is because that's uh, i think somewhat unusual no it's cool i I love the story and and again um it's almost the same as my story except i was in guelph 
And it was Victory Records that called, and I was just at the end of my second year. So that was a harder decision for Ooh, me. Because, yeah, because yeah, I had to drop out. So I never finished my degree. I did about two and a half years, and uh, I dropped out. So that, you know, when you say make your mom mom's happy, yeah, my parents <laughs> were a little like, like, I mean, they watched me play music, you know, my whole life, and every time I ever had a birthday or Christmas present it was like a new piece of gear or something I wanted you know what I mean that kind of thing music was my life so they weren't going to take it away from me but at the same time they were like uh so you're gonna go you're gonna drop out of school and and tour in a van you know and I'm like yep <laughs> and they were like all right we're not gonna tell you not to so it was a much much harder thing so you know in some ways you're lucky that it happened when it did if it happened a year before who knows if everybody in your band would have been on board well, this is the thing. I totally, uh, that's why we're so lucky. And, you know, well, first of all, all's well that ends well with you and Silverstein. <laughs> sure. You know, you, sure. you made and a you life too. out of it. And you too. And, that, and, and that's great. But I'll tell you this. So my dad, and my mom was the one who was apprehensive. My dad sort of like, you know, as I said, easygoing and very trustworthy of me and assumed I'd figure it out one way or another. My mom is definitely a more like worried mom yeah. type. Yep. <laughs> and sure. What she, my dad, I guess, well, I guess when my mom and dad started dating, like back in the late seventies, my dad had a friend named Steve. I forget Steve's last name, but Steve was like a bohemian bum that fancied himself a musician that lived in Kensington Market, but basically lived off his parents' money. Like, cause he came from a rich family, uh-huh. but pretended to be a musician, never made any money for himself, was just constantly asking his parents for dough. And my mom was like worried, like in her very worried motherly. That you were going to be that guy. That I'd be Steve. (laughs) So for the first few years of the band, she was like, she's like very cautious about like, okay, it sounds like it's going okay. Like with a quiver in her voice. Um, Now it's all good. And she's, yeah, she she trusts everything is fine. But uh, she was very worried that I'd become Steve, (laughs) which is funny. That's so funny, man. Um, That's so funny. Um, yeah, but no, actually, that's... one other one other funny little anecdote about that last uh, half year, like from the end of fourth year, we were called Charlemagne at the time. Uh, we haven't always been Arkell, so we our, our original college band name was Charlemagne, which is an equally fucking meaningless dumb name. <laughs> but um, we had gotten a MySpace notice from another Charlemagne who was based in Wisconsin, like threatening, (laughs) threatening to sue us. He said, he was going to like, I'm going to send you a cease and desist letter unless you drop that name. Right. And, and so we're like, Oh shit, you know, this guy, he has more MySpace followers than us. We, we we don't want to get sued for our $200 that's in the bank account. (laughs) Um, So, and when Joel saw us, he saw us as Charlemagne. And one of the the first things he was going to do for us was put a flyer in the new city and color album that was going to be coming out that year in 2008. Oh. So he, I think he sent us an email saying, Hey, by the way, this thing, we're doing it. Check out this flyer. It looks pretty cool. We're going to press go. Is that cool? So we had to call him and we said, Joel, this is amazing, but uh, we have to change our name. We, there's something we didn't tell you. There's another Charlemagne. We need to change the name. And he said, oh, okay. Uh, what's the new name going to be? This thing's going to the printer in 15 minutes. <laughs> and so I'm, I still remember to this day, I was at this, the school library, Mills Library at uh, McMaster. And I was like, uh, I'll call you back. And I hung up the phone and frantically called the guys. And, and I was like, guys, what are we going to do? And we've been putting off the decision. We'd come up with a million bad replacement names. We couldn't come up with anything. And uh, we settled on our Kells. Because Mike and I lived on Arkell Street, and we thought it sounded like a girl's like fifties duop name, like the Shirelles. Yeah, the it does. Yeah, it does. 
And so it kind of had that vibe to it. And, uh, and so we called him back like 50 minutes later, uh, Arkells, what do you think? And he's like, okay, works for me. <laughs> That's a, from that day on, we were the Arkells. Works for, do you like the band name? Well, no, nah, works for me. <laughs> works for me. We, gotta, we have this printer thing set up. That's, and, such and a, that's such a great story. I love that story so much. That's funny. No, even our band name was one of those. We had a, we had a show. We needed a name. It's five dumb guys looking around the room, and I saw Silverstein, Shell Silverstein book on the ground. I was like, I don't know, Silverstein? Like, pointed at it, and everyone's like, okay. And that was it, you know? It's funny <laughs> It's funny how, like, these, you know, these um, band names just kind of come out of, I don't know. The band Are name story. Jewish? No, we're not. No, we're not. No, and that's, but believe me, when we used to go to um, Spadina Jobbers to get our blank shirts, do you remember that place? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was run by, run by a Jewish family. They used to, like, give us the, the bro deal because I think they thought we were Jewish. Oh, did you, so, did, did you mean the tribe deal? You get, you're, part of, you're a member of the tribe. That's oh, what the Jews call oh, themselves. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah I, guess, I guess so. See, I don't even I know that, I don't even know that terminology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, unrelated, and you, and you can cut this if you want, but my, do you know Aaron Goldstein? Do you know that, that guy? He's an old. He's a, he plays pedal steel. He's like a bearded fella. I, think I, I know the name. I know the name. For he, sure. He's he's an awesome guy. He's like one of my oldest music friends, and he just opened a studio on Baldwin in downtown Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he's Aaron Goldstein. His business partners Abe uh, Abe Levy. <laughs> so two very Jewish sounding names. Very yes. And, and their studios on Baldwin Street in a building owned by Silverstein's Bakery because yes. Silverstein's Bakery owns that whole block and. There's literally a bagel oven in the studio. <laughs> so it's Levy and Goldstein in Silverstein's bakery with a fucking bagel oven. How yeah, great is that? That's crazy. Well, you know, the Silverstein bakery is no more. I know. They just which moved is, somewhat recently, right? Which is crazy. And, and it's funny because, like, our whole, well, when we, got, when we started the name, we didn't know about the Silverstein bakery. But of course, like, right after. Um, everyone's like, oh, it's this bakery. It's been around for like a hundred years. Everyone knows this bakery. We're like, oh, I don't know. We didn't know. And it's funny how somehow our band, our stupid band outlasted the, the bakery. It's like a tra- <laughs> Toronto tradition. You know? That is, hey, 16 years, man. That's, uh, there you go. that's a long time. Pretty yeah. bad. <laughs> we got to take a quick break to hear about our sponsor, Loot Crate. But we'll be right back with more from me and Max. If you've been listening to the show the last couple months, you're going to know all about this. However, if you're a little behind like some people tend to get, it's okay. Listen up because we have a great sponsor that's super supportive of the show, super supportive of me, and they're doing some absolutely rad things. If you're into nerdy stuff, I mean, I'm a geek. It's just who I am. I accept it. If you're into retro video games, if you're into cult movies, if you're level 28 on Pokemon Go like me... If you're into graphic novels, whatever it is, you got to check out Loot Crate. Basically, it's a subscription service. You get this really, really cool box sent to your house every month, and it's like 20 bucks, and it's really, really rad. The stuff they send is awesome. I got a couple right here. They do a great job. So if you're on a quest for epic gear, housewares, and collectibles, Loot Crate brings you between four and six of the coolest curated mystery items every month straight to your doorstep. It's the best surprise you know is coming. This month's crate theme is Origins. We have awesome and exclusive items from your old school favorites. This January, see where it all started and explore the iconic Origins with historic items featuring Superman, Captain America, Mario, God, I love Mario, and of course, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, including, as always, our monthly t-shirt and pin. Now, here is how it works. You have until the 19th, 
January 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific, that's midnight Eastern, to subscribe and receive this month's crate. And when that cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. No more Origins for you. So make sure you do you get on that. We're getting to that point. We got a couple days, but but make sure you sign up. So head over to lootcrate.com slash leadsinger and enter the promo code leadsinger to save $3 off any new subscription today. So again, that's lootcrate.com slash leadsinger. Enter promo code lead singer and it's coming straight to you and it's awesome we haven't talked a lot about singing and this is the lead singer syndrome podcast um (laughs) and i want to ask you a little bit about your voice because you have you have kind of a unique style and it's sort of like you are kind of going more for and i'm totally guessing and i could be wrong it's almost like you're kind of going for a vibe of of in terms of your voice rather than just trying to be this fucking belting out shredder of a singer do you know what i mean would you say that's accurate yeah i mean (laughs) i wish um here's what i'd say is that i'm definitely technically not a good singer like uh, in terms of like real crooners or guys that have like really powerful pipes i don't think i put myself in that category so what i've always relied on is the is this idea that people just like an original voice so like an original voice yeah. is in many ways more important than being technically a good singer like bob dylan isn't technically a good singer but he's unique and he's it's uniquely him singing so Absolutely. um i used to be kind of insecure, you know especially in the early days very insecure about the sound of my voice because i was like it didn't sound as good in playback as it did in my head and i'm like oh god is that how i actually sound right but right. but over time you know, I realized that there are many other ingredients that go into uh, how people perceive your voice as a, compared to just the singular sound of your voice. A lot of it has to do with what you're saying, the kind of music it's matched up with, uh, the sort of swagger you can put into it. And, um, you know, and so for me, that's like, I, I, I don't fret too much about the fact that like, I'm not necessarily the best singer, but if you own it, if you own what you're doing, especially yeah. in the in the business of rock and roll, you can get by. Absolutely, but it's it's almost like I just I just feel like you're such a vibe singer, and like even when you're you like your live show too. And now we talked a little bit about your live shows um, earlier, and I think people need to see your band live to get it. Totally, and it, there's something about it where you're like you're. You're, you're like up there and you're like cool, but at the same time, you're just being honest. Like you don't kind of don't give a fuck, but then you're, you care about what you're saying. And it's like this sort of like, I care and I don't care at the same time to where it's just like honest and, and it works. And I feel like singing wise, you're going to give the people watching you what they need. Is that ever something you, you think you think about? Like, like it's like I want all these people in here to leave with what they needed, with what they came for, and I feel like that's what you're trying to deliver. Yeah, totally. Well, I definitely think that. Um, I say, you know what? I heard an interesting thing in, in another podcast actually about interviewing, but I think it applies to a live show uh, in a certain degree. It's like because uh, because this uh, this interview uh, this podcast host, his name's Ezra Klein. He said that if you're kind of jovial and easygoing with a guest, that's what they'll give back to you. If you're serious with a guest, they'll be serious back. If, yeah, you're, if, yeah. you, if you ask short, curt questions, they'll give you short, curt answers. So I think with, um, with our live show, 
I want to convey a sense of like fun, of, of like a passion of community. I, I want it to be inclusive. I want uh, people to dance. And so I think it's up to me to set the tone. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so, you know, I, I, and I think you, and, it, and you know, in the first couple of songs, especially if you're playing to maybe a new crowd, people don't know exactly what protocol is yet because they've never seen you. But so it's up to you to go, okay, when, during, during this set, we're going to sing, we're going to dance, we're going to be, we're going to be earnest. We're going to give a shit, but we're also going to have a sense of humor. We're yep. going to have fun. Yep. And those are all elements of who I am and what's in the songs. So, it's up to me to be like the conductor on a certain level. That, that's my main job. Yeah, like I like my, that. My, uh, conductor is a good term for it. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like so as a singer, I think I try to inject like all those sensibilities uh, into my performance, especially live, yeah. uh, because because that's what I want back. And now the coolest thing is is that the for me. Um, we've built up a rapport with our audience as you guys have with your audience where it's like, you don't even need to instruct them anymore. Like, right, it's, right. it's not, it's, it's not as hard as it used to be because you're going to go. And then it, it gives you more freedom to be even crazier. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, um, you know, people who have been to, you know, 30 Arkell shows like, no, you know, we're, we're going to give a shit. We're going to be good to each other. We're going to sing our hearts out. We're going to dance. And, uh, and that's like so fun to have like developed that relationship with the audience, but that comes from us leading, leading the charge, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and lyrically, um, you know, you read a lot of great lyrics and I, I feel like that's one thing that you do, um, better than most of the other mainstream, you know, radio bands or whatever. Uh, and I know you're a big, like hold steady fan, um, totally. You know, and you take a lot of, of, of influence from, you know, storytellers and stuff like that. Um, I want to ask you one specific thing. I mean, obviously, um, your big song, Private Schools. Yeah. You had to change the words, right, for radio because, <laughs> oh, yeah. because there's a, uh, well, a fuck off is the, yeah. the, the main line in the chorus. <laughs> um, now, I got to ask you because obviously lyrics are important to you, but obviously there's the success of the band and the whole thing. And every time there's a radio edit, and I've talked to some other people on the show about it, I always want to know what the process was. Like, you know, you write a song. When does the conversation come? Is it like with the band? Is it with the label? Is it when you guys actually go for radio? Like, when does that happen when you're like, fuck, yeah, we have it's, to change this That's a good question. Um, well, we never know what song the label is going to choose as a single. So we, we, so if there's a swear word in there or whatever, we don't really think too hard about it because there's a good chance it, it won't be a single. <laughs> um, but once it got to the point with private school, that that would be the single, like the lead single and the, and the main lyric in the course is ah, fuck off. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we weren't too precious about it. I understand when some acts are, but like, I personally, like I, t- I take the songs really seriously. I take songwriting really seriously. It's like the thing that keeps me up at night. Uh, but I don't take, I don't take everything so seriously. It's like, so, so some label that we're working with is really excited about a song like private school and, and is going to, you know, commit their time and some of their money to to try to make it a successful song on the radio. Then, then I, I think I'd like to play ball with them. Like I I don't, I'm not so serious where I'm going to, Go no, you can't compromise my art. This is like a, this. This is not like geopolitics or something. It's a fucking rock and roll song. So if if they're really excited about this song and think it has potential, um, and I have to change the lyrics from "fuck off" to 
um, come on and it stays as fuck off on the album version. Yeah. And whatever. That's fine with me. Uh, I like, I'm not overly precious, but I know what you're saying because I, I'm always curious about, um, that, that conversation when you hear radio edits, uh, and there's a song by the weekend that's on the radio right now. It's like, because the, and the lyric is I'm a motherfucking star boy. Uh, <laughs> have you, have, have you heard the I radio heard edit? It, no, I love the weekend. I, yeah. So the radio edit is, he, he goes, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a star boy. <laughs> so they just right, repeat, right, right, right. I'm but, a, I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> but yeah, but you know what though? The thing is, is like you say, you say, Oh, well, I don't know what songs should be the single or whatever. But like, did, does that mean you went back in the studio and re-recorded that line, or did you yeah, have we, the foresight to do it while you were still? No, we had album? to go re-record it. We um, I happened. Uh, we did that song in L.A. and I had to go like yeah, bang up the chorus. It only it was it was easy enough. Like uh, the, the guy Brian Brian West who produced the, the track, really nice guy. Uh, we I just popped by. His, it literally took like an hour. Or yeah, something. it's just, it's funny. Yeah, you like go through actual work. To, to you know what I mean to admit to compromise your art <laughs> you know yeah it's just like a funny thing and I, I wonder like yeah the weekend probably was like oh what do I have to do yeah whatever I'm 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 <laughs> that's totally. so funny and it probably happens more often than you think yeah uh, but uh, we definitely absolutely. had some conversations about like okay is it I forgot or instead of I fuck off oh, fuck off like I was like oh that doesn't really make sense like no, we no. <laughs> yeah we had gotten to the point where we were like very happy with the song. The, the heart and soul of the song was was still intact. And if we have to change the lyric, and actually, you know, it's become a, a, like a live bit in the song where, like, at the show, go before the last chorus and like in the breakdown, I'll go look on the radio. You might know it as Ah, come on. But amongst friends, when I'm at, when I'm at a party with friends, there I go, go Ah, fuck off. And you know, that's another thing. Like doors open for you in this business in very strange and unusual and special ways sometimes. So it's like the fact that we had to make that radio edit gave me a live bit, which is cool, which I think is awesome. That's the way I choose. I at least choose. Yeah. And you're addressing it so that anybody that heard the song on the radio and now, you know what I mean? You're like, you're saying it is what it is, you know? And I, I I respect that a lot. Um, all right, man. Well, I, I I don't want to keep too much more of your time. I do want to talk a little bit of Raptors basketball because I know you're a big <laughs> fan um, yeah. and I'm a huge fan myself. And um, what do you think is going to happen with the, um, with the team? Are they getting new players? Can they actually beat Cleveland? What do you think is going to happen? Well, uh, the short of it is I don't think we can beat Cleveland with our current roster. I'm really excited with the way uh, DeRozan's played this year and Lowry. Yeah, is you were a bit critical as, of DeRozan. I, I was critical. I, I know you were quite critical. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, DeRozan, just something about his game has never really pleased my eyes. I don't know. It's like well, hey, love- when you're taking like a 19 foot two point shot, it's like, yeah, can't I you know. just step a few feet further back and make it worth an extra 50% points? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and his handle wasn't great. He's gotten yeah. a little better, but he'd lose the ball. Like, he never seemed to be the most like savvy passer. Like, you know, there's mm-hmm. guys like James Harden or like, Dwayne Wade, who just like has such good court sense, yeah. uh, and and DeRozan never struck me as that kind of guy either. So, but he's really improved this year. Kyle's oh, yeah. really good. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't think anything really changes unless we get like Millsap or like a, a really another premier guy. Um, yeah. In the I starting always, lineup, I always said we're one player away. Yeah. And and I, uh, I think you know. And then and then what? The Cavs went out and got Kyle Korver. I know. Like, this fuck is off. Crazy. Ah, From fuck Mike off. Dunleavy? Are you fucking kidding? <laughs> That's crazy. But you know what? As somebody who 
um, is finding like the Warriors almost to be boring at this point because they're so fucking good. Yeah. I'm really glad the Cavs got another shooter because I think it'll make that series a little more interesting. Because, I mean, I'm Jeez, assuming you're already calling the NBA championship. I mean, there's yeah, some other teams out there that could, that could pull it like? off. Uh, well, I, I always like San Antonio. I yeah, mean, yeah. You, you watch you them never just count like them they just they took the Raptors to school the other day. Like that was oh my god, that was ugly. I know, I know. It was you, totally you know the like, Raptors had eight assists in that whole ball game. Oh god, I did not know it was that. How few. is that even? I, is that a record? Eight assists? That's <laughs> fucked. I, I can't even believe it. But hey, man, I just I'm a big sports guy, and I know you are too. And uh, I'm actually going to the Leafs game tomorrow. I'm kind of getting. I'm never, I am I never also really going to the Leafs game tomorrow. Oh, well, shit, let's get a beer. I'll text that's awesome. you. Yeah, we'll meet in between an intermission. Absolutely, oh, that's let's get awesome. a beer. Yeah that's, yeah, yeah, that's awesome, dude. Right, crazy. Man, well, hey, um, dude, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy, always working. So um, what's next uh, for Arkell? So tell the people. We are uh, going on tour with Frank Turner across North America. So um, you should come to the show. We're, yep. we're doing starting Jan 19th in D.C. Uh, and then like Philly and then kind of across through Cincinnati, Chicago, Denver, Phoenix, up the West Coast. And then we're opening for Frank. And like Murder by Death is on that oh, run. And John, I love Murder by Death, man. I know. And John K. Sampson's on some of the dates. Really? It's like a pretty, yeah, pretty stacked bill from the week of That's so and, cool. And then, uh, and then the, it flips and Frank's opening for us across Canada. Yeah. So uh, well, we're, uh, we're, we're going to be doing Any American like listeners, run. any American listeners listening to this, uh, yeah, go find Max and tell him that you heard about um, his band on the podcast and now you're a huge fan. Okay, go tell him. I would love that. Hey, are you around uh, Feb 10th? Because we're playing Hamilton. You should come. Uh, if you're absolutely. Around. 100%. Okay. You I'll be Consider there. yourself on the guest list. It's, uh, right. it's going to be good. Would love, would love it. Dude, amazing. Well, uh, thank you so much for doing this. And um, yeah, man. All the best. Thank you. This was really fun. I really, I really love this. This is great. So there it is with Max. Awesome dude. Make sure you check out the Arkells on tour with Frank Turner. Like I said in the interview, you've got to see them live to really, to, you know, kind of get what they're doing. I think that that's really what it's all about with the Arkells. Next week, we'll be back on Monday. As always, make sure you're subscribed. If you like the show, go on iTunes, write a review, preferably five stars. All that stuff helps. And please, if you like the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is really what has helped this thing grow what has helped this thing spread. Also join the All Access Club. Do that too. Thanks again, everybody. I'm going to leave you with a tune. As always, here's the song we mentioned in the podcast. It's called Private Schools. Here it is on Lead Singer Symphony. Peace and love. Private school girls, private school boys, playing games, expensive toys. Private school girls, private school boys, Don DeLillo wrote white noise. I tried so hard to find an in, but you weren't giving me anything. Come on now, throw me a line. It's a sign. Oh,
is such a chore Around you I feel like swine You're divine 